right. So uh, let's start with our, our wonderful theme music. Um, we always start with theme music, Grant. So so hold on a second. Here it comes. Yeah, 70s mix. And so, yes. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. I am Jason Kern, Assistant Head of School for Innovation Learning at All Saints School in Tyler, and I'm here with Mike Cobb. It's good to be back, everyone. We are really excited about today. We have one of my favorite people on the planet, and that is Grant Lickman, who has been such an inspiration to me personally, but also to our school and our North Star at, um, at All Saints Episcopal School. And so much the language, so much of our real areas of focus come from language and vocabulary we gained from Grant. So again, I, I am beyond excited about this today and uh, I'll turn it over. Grant, would you please just give a quick introduction uh, to everyone about who you are and kind of what you're up to? Well, thanks so much for having me. And, uh, you know, I always love talking with the great folks at All Saints, and, and I really uh, applaud and appreciate the work you do in bringing educators together, both in face-to-face -face and virtual formats to share ideas. Uh, I'm, I live just north of San Diego, California. Uh, after a career in the for-profit world uh, in the late 90s, I went to work as a senior administrator at a large independent school in San Diego for about 14 years. And then in 2000, since 2012, I've been honored and fortunate uh, to be able to work with, collaborate, learn from uh, something north of 250 uh, now, I think, schools and school districts of all kinds, public, private, charter around the United States, uh, Canada, and to some extent around the world in uh, seeing how schools and school communities are trying to transform their, uh, their school systems to better meet the challenges of a very rapidly changing world. Uh, so that's the space I've been working in. I've uh, been able to share a lot of that, publish several books in the last decade, and continue to uh, work uh, with schools and districts around the country and around the world. That's awesome. I, I appreciate that. And I tell you, you're one of the busiest guys I know. Every time I visit with you, you're sharing new projects, new things you're on. And I, I am still going back almost on a daily basis to your, your book, Thrive. And of course, I, I want a hot lead here. Is there a new book coming soon or something, Grant, we can be looking at? What's on, on the horizon for you right now? Uh, you know, uh, for the last two books, I've said this is going to be my last book, so I'll never say that there's not going to be another. Uh, I am contemplating a new project uh, that could take a slightly a different turn. It might involve a, a very extended road trip around uh, North America in the future once COVID uh, is, uh, let's, let's go, it's cause a little bit, uh, but we'll leave that, uh, that discussion and that, uh, that teaser for another day. All right, I'll be watching closely. That's great. Well, we're excited, as everyone knows, to, to jump into the Sandbox podcast here today. And, and the Sandbox really just is that in-between times, right? It, it's that time that you get to sit down with colleagues that you're really passionate about. We all know that we go to conferences and we get a lot out of speakers and general sessions and breakout sessions. But a lot of the times it's the conversations in the hallways. It's the conversations after hours that, that really give you that interesting perspective on what's going on and what people are passionate about. 
So today, Grant, you know, we, we always kick off with just kind of what what are you pondering these days? There's so much going on throughout the country in all kinds of different ways in education. And uh, we've talked about a lot of things with other guests. And we're just curious right now, you know, what what's on your pondering? What, what are you thinking about? What are you passionate about uh, around the nation? Well, right now I'm pondering why are we entering another fall with the uh, COVID uh, hot mess, as, as you all describe it, uh, that we didn't think we were going to be in this fall. It's a darn shame. Uh, I think as Americans uh, or in certain segments of America, we've done a, a good job of addressing the crisis. In other areas, we've done a poor job of addressing the crisis. And it's a shame that our, our students have to suffer again and our great educators have to suffer again when some of this at least could have been been avoided. So, uh, you know, a lot of people thought that we were going to be out of it by now. Well, we're not. We're facing another fall. And I, I just hope that uh, uh, everybody takes the lesson seriously that we learned from a year ago and, and implements that so we can get out of this next round of, of COVID very quickly. I think that uh, we, one of the big lessons from COVID, we need to re recognize that this particular crisis will go away. Uh, it will wane, the pandemic will wane, but we've learned some very serious lessons about uh, how crises can impact education, can impact students, can impact the adults in the system. Uh, I don't want to, I can't go into all those right now. I've had the fortune of working with lots and lots of schools during the last year to identify what some of those lessons are. Uh, but some of the big ones are that we really, you know, uh, have to pay much better attention to the uh, social emotional health of our students and our uh, families and our, and our educators. These are critical parts of the learning process. Uh, we, we've learned that we can do some types of learning very effectively virtually, but that other types, you know what, it just nothing replaces being face-to-face uh, -face and having those uh, close personal relationships that can't be replaced on a, on a, in, in, in Zoom or, or distance learning. Uh, and I think the big, uh, the big lesson is, is that we have to be able to embrace discomfort. Uh, as I said a year or so ago in, a, in an article I published, uh, you know, there are many educators and school communities that will uh, immediately when a crisis starts to wane, will reach out and try to jump into the nearest life raft, which generally is their previous comfort zone. Uh, and what we have to realize is that those comfort zones were never all that comfortable because when they're fragile enough to be disrupted by any type of crisis, uh, it means we weren't prepared uh, to to. to to work with and deal with the, the real world that we live in today. And so now we know that uh, schools are capable of changing quickly. We're capable of being flexible and dynamic institutions and organizations. Uh, we've busted the myth, uh, the generations old myth that uh, changing schools like turning an aircraft carrier. We know that's not true. Uh, so we have to hold on to that uh, and implement it going forward as part of a learning culture. Uh, so those are some of the things that I've been pondering about, you know, with respect to the pandemic. Uh, beyond that, uh, uh, and we'll get, we'll, we'll get into some other aspects, beyond that, uh, there's a concept that I think we really have to grasp onto, and it is brought very clear to me. I've just read a, a preview of a publication, a book that's coming out here in the next month or so by uh, Ulka Joshi Hansen called The Future of Smart. She does a great job of articulating that the, uh, the, the industrial model of education, which has been prevalent uh, in, you know, across certainly America and, and good parts of the world for the past 125 or 150 years, 
really we can trace the roots of this system of education back to the scientific revolution, the rise of uh, you know sort of post Renaissance Enlightenment thinking, uh, and economic, social, and philosophical concepts that, that said, you know, everything in this world can be quantified, uh, can be objectively understood, and we've developed a system of education that's based around efficiency, uh, our testing programs, our college admissions program, uh, the way we put students in the classroom. It's all based on a model that says, you know, these are quantifiable. It's an, it's an efficiency-driven model. And uh, when we ask people what's most important about learning, though, we recognize that a much more sort of human-centered side of learning is actually more important in the long run. And so I think schools are trying to find this balance. They're trying to make this shift from sort of a left-brain efficiency model to something that incorporates more of the human relational uh, global connectedness side of, of learning, which is really what we take away in the long term that makes us successful and happy in life. Uh, and so I'm very interested and passionate about uh, schools, <clears throat> and including, of course, schools like uh, All Saints that are recognizing that this is not an either or. It doesn't mean that we either have to learn, you know, our times tables and the quadratic formula, or we have to learn how to be great human beings and find our purpose and meaning in life, uh, that these are mutually reinforcing. Uh, so this is a trend that I think has been developing over the last decade or so. I believe it's accelerating. Uh, and the more schools that we can get their exemplars of this to show that it's not only possible, but preferable, uh, that's how we bring more community stakeholders on, vault, or on board across demographics, geography, etc. I love it. So much there that I just love and again, enjoy hearing you talk about what you're passionate about. One of the things that, you know, really hit home to me there was talking, uh, you were talking about how uh, we have disproven this fact that schools can change and can do it more rapidly. They did. I mean, no, no school, um, I think, can make the claim that they didn't change and make bigger changes in the last 18 months than they had maybe in many years. And, and I love the fact, though, that we also know that what you said, we've also proven that we, we checked a lot of boxes, even amongst some of those things we were doing. But the human center was what we keep driven, driven back to. That's what we really had to figure out. How can we do that better uh, with distance? How can we do that remotely? And it really brought home to us at All Saints some things that were really, really important and some things that were not. So I, I think it's really cool to think about how. Again, we were in force innovation. There's all types of ways you can innovate and force innovation is one of those. Many of us were forced to innovate. Even us, we, I think that we try to think outside the box. There were certain things that we had to innovate that we had not been innovating before that we learned deeply from in this. And I think that um, there's some resiliency that comes from that if schools are willing to maintain it and to foster that. that, that again, even some of our teachers that might not have been on that quick to change scale before, we're now in that same rapid iteration that our other teachers might have been. And so that resiliency was was strengthened and that we have to find a way to encourage that. And that's something we've been trying to tell them. I've been using the analogy of stretching a lot in the last uh, 18 months and and telling our teachers and reminding them of the, the real direct analogy towards your physical stretching as you're working out and building your body and us as, in our pedagogical ways that we have been stretched now. We can now go back and sit on the couch if we want, and we'll go back to the same place we were, or we can continue down to grow upon that new flexibility and the new um, ways that we're able to think about school differently. So uh, that's that, that really resonated with me. Jason, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the thing that jumped out to me is is kind of this idea that we've talked about of VUCA, right? The volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity that, that we all have known this world has had for several years. You know, this is not a new thing, but it's come to a head. But but I come back and I, I wonder um, as I as I get to talk to Grant here, who who has experienced all over the country like no one else, is is your idea, Mike, of in order to fight VUCA, we have to have our own VUCA, right? In which you characterize as vision, understanding, clarity, and then agility and action. And so I, I think about Grant, are you seeing that the schools that have um, weathered this or, or not necessarily thrived in this, but but been more successful in this change and flying this new ship, have those things that Mike kind of refers to, especially that vision, understanding of who they are and going back to your idea of that North Star, those, those schools that have that North Star, are they uh, being able to fly the ship a little bit differently? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the whole concept of a North Star uh, is that it is a future aiming point around which the community has agreement and passion and understanding and, and makes sort of the pinky square, you know, we're going to we're going to head in that direction. And we know uh, from centuries, no, I was about to say decades, but it's really centuries of understanding of how organizations uh, change and, and move forward well, uh, that the path towards the North Star is never linear and direct. Uh, we can think of a sailing ship uh, you know, knowing you want to sail north, but if the winds are blowing uh, contrary, you tack starboard and you tack to port, and and sometimes you have to maybe uh, sail west to go north, uh, and that's what's happening right now. It doesn't mean that the North Star goes away. It means that your your path to get there is a little bit different. But if you don't have that uh, fixed point, if you don't have that point of of of, of, of aspiration and of, of purpose uh, and know what that organizational purpose is. And we're going to talk more about purpose here in a little bit because I'm, I'm thinking a lot about purpose these days. If your organization doesn't have that uh, point of purpose, then you get blown all over the place. And when you're in that situation, uh, the you know, most people are going to say, I'm going to grab onto the nearest life raft, which uh, doesn't have a, probably doesn't have a motor on it. It's going to get buffeted around by winds and currents and waves. And then, you know, you really are just at the, at the, uh, uh, you're, you're at the whim of the forces that are uh, driving us rather than uh, driving yourself and your own organization. So it's absolutely critical to have that sort of sense of sense of North star. And as I've talked so much with you folks, so many schools uh, want to default to that North star, that mission statement, uh, kind of being an ambiguous, I call it vanilla or vanilla plus statement that sounds like everybody else's and really is hard to say, you know, pin down exactly what it means. You know what, that just doesn't work. Uh, and so uh, I, 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 I love Mike's uh, new definition of VUCA. I want uh, you to post or email me, make sure I have those uh, four rights. I want to tweet the heck out of that. And I want to write a blog about it because I think it's fabulous that you've uh, created a new set of VUCA uh, as an antidote to the volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous VUCA that we're, we've all uh, learned to experience. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's fascinating. Last year, I still remember sitting in our leadership advance as we were thinking about school for the first time, uh, uh, you know, starting a school year in the midst of a pandemic and that we began to talk about this idea of VUCA. But I remember telling them and opening it up to Thrive once again by Grant Lickman and going to the North Star chapter and saying, guys, that our, our North Star 
is more important now, not less important, that we have to make sure that we stay super focused because we have all the wind and the waves and all the things around us trying to take our attention off of it. And we can easily start doing things that would be counter to who we are as a school. And so that, that North Star, like you say, it, it, we may feel like we're getting farther away in some ways because of the things we have to do to keep our ship safe right now. But as long as we know how we're getting back to the North Star, then that's okay. And then I've had to remind, you know, we are so proud of some of the spaces we've built to be collaborative, to be these spaces where kids can be all together, all over, hands on. And guess what? That has not been something that we've been able to do very well in the last 18 months. But we, we know that and we understand that that's part of our journey right now. We're not getting away from North Star. We're not saying we don't want to be that anymore. We're saying for right now, we got to reimagine that. We're going to do that a little differently. But as soon as the, the waves subside, we're going to get right back on it and turn the ship beat on that, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's really important for people to think about, though, that you have to be more focused than ever amidst the storm on your North Star, not less. Absolutely. Yep. So, so Grant, as you as you look across, you know, obviously, you know, you understand us, and and we've got our story. But do do you, as you think about some of the things that you've talked about that you're passionate about, are, are there other people that that really have done it well? Any stories that you could share of signs of hope through uh, this um, experience that we're going through that that truly have seen these great things come out of this? I, you know, I, I think there are signs of hope. And, and I, I would almost, you know, question that, question that question a little bit. Um, I, you know, there are people who are suffering tremendously uh, from the pandemic, and we have loved ones who are dying, and the doctors and nurses who are being stressed well past the breaking point. Uh, some of them, unfortunately, probably, uh, you know, and don't don't need to be because the population is not taking things like masking seriously and the vaccinations. But uh, uh, I, when, I think schools are natural places of hope and resilience. Uh, educators are incredibly strong and resilient folks. And so I think any school, I think every school that uh, has managed to had managed to weather this last year, by definition, is a, is a place of hope. They've demonstrated themselves that they can get through something that was really unimaginable in terms of what they what the educators would have to do, what the families would have to go through, et cetera. And so I think there's a tremendous amount of that out there. Uh, and yes, certainly there are uh, schools that have probably, you know, sort of gone to the nth degree. And I, uh, I, I keep thinking of my friend, my good friends at Miss Porter School uh, back in Connecticut, who literally within a few weeks of the pandemic uh, starting a year ago, a year and a half ago, called me and said, you know, this is a time we want to put our foot to the accelerator and not on the brake. And they immediately uh, took some very early uh, prototypes of some online courses, international online courses, uh, and, 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 started cranking them out and started having uh, girls from all over the world attending these remarkable, relevant uh, online uh, courses that uh, the, the girls were get, are now getting badged for so that they get sort of a Miss Porter's badge on their transcript, even if they're going to school in India or Africa or Japan or someplace. Uh, and uh, sort of looked at different models of uh, their how the classes were being taught at their school. They accelerated some of the changes they were making in terms of moving away from a department-centric uh, department structure to their 
to their to their faculty and their transcripts and things like that. So, you know, there are schools like that that said we're going to use this opportunity to accelerate out of the curve rather than uh, break out of put the brakes on out of the curve. And I think they'll have a tremendous benefit of that. Um, but again, I think uh, schools are naturally places of hope, and I think all schools that uh, managed to make it through and have education still take place last year have a lot of reason to believe that they've learned a lot of lessons and they've built some muscle memory out of going through a, a tough time like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that and I, I embrace it so much. I've said many times that I feel like as an educator, if you're not someone who has hope and that you're not someone who just innately is kind of a, an optimist and believes in the future, that you probably are misplaced because that is at the core of what we do is that no matter what we're going through, I mean, again, the last year and a half have been uh, certainly challenging and such a sad time to go through. But yet through that, I watch our students and I see them still growing. I see them still uh, have joy and optimism for their futures. And that gives me hope that we, we are going to get through this and we will have a new generation that will have learned a, a unique lesson that us a better people down the road. And that, that is why I do what I do, you know, and uh, I've learned different lessons this year than I learned in the years before this one or the decade before that one. And so I, I am truly hopeful that all educators are taking the, the time to really reflect on that and to not let this this just go by, right? And I've heard a few people say that, you know, I'm ready for this to be done. And I, I, I am ready for this to be done, but I, I don't want to forget the lessons that we've taken from this. I, I want to deeply remember this. And uh, as a historian, I, I I always reflect back and I remember that the, the Spanish flu after the pandemic, there was nothing written on the Spanish flu for almost a decade after. And people literally just said, let's not talk about that. Let's let it go. And I'm really hopeful that that won't be our, our course here, that we will be reminded of it. We'll take deep lessons from it and that we will value the, the hard lessons that have been learned in it. Yeah, one one important resource I can share uh, the our our friends north of the border in Canada, uh, and I know a lot of the audience be listening to this podcast are independent school folks. So the Canadian accreditation independent, accredited independent schools, uh, I undertook with them last year two very extensive deep dives. There were eighty schools involved. Uh, I think over 150 different educators wearing different hats at those schools, all involved in deep dives across across the spectrum. What are the lessons being learned in real time, both on the academic and the non-academic side of school? Uh, and we issued two uh, complete reports with all sorts of uh, great takeaways from these collaborative deep dives these schools put together. And all of that's available on uh, via the CAI, it's CAIS. Uh, .ca website, uh, those two reports. Uh, they made them publicly available, which is really fabulous uh, so that anybody can access those. All the you know lessons that these 80 schools said, this is what we learned and what we want to take away from this, so we're not going to just forget uh, the, the important lessons learned during this difficult time. Thank you. Yeah, and, and we'll put that link in the podcast so y'all can just go down below and click on that, and we'll put a few other resources from this in here, so please check those out. All right, so... At- we want to shift over now to thinking about looking down the road. Uh, we're, we're looking into the future and would love to know kind of what you feel those moonshots are for education right now. What are those big things that we can hope to accomplish as we get down the horizon and things that can really make a, a big difference in our, our society and our world? Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for that. And as you guys know, I've sort of kept a running list of those over the last four or five years. I call them my big hairy challenges. And uh, as 
as I was thinking about that for, for this podcast, I want to mention just a couple of those. And I'm, I'm adding a new one now, which I think is really an important and maybe the important moonshot for education. Uh, the ones that I sort of resurrect from my list, uh, the first one has to do with helping our students and really our all, all of us, but uh, since we're educators, we're worried about our students, uh, helping our students understand and, and figure out how to differentiate between fact and fiction. Uh, this is so has become so critical in this era of social media where all of us and certainly our students are getting so much of our knowledge across social media and mainstream media at such a rapid rate. Uh, and we really don't have a good rubric. We really don't have a, a skill set that's embedded well for any of us uh, understanding how do we separate uh, fact from fiction, uh, uh, opinion from uh, you know, objective truth, uh, things like that. Uh, we don't know how to do that as educators yet, and yet it's it's we're desperate to uh, figure this out. So we have to build that airplane as we're uh, flying it. Um, there are resources that are being developed out there, and so I think we really have to pay attention. If our kids can't uh, separate those two, then the whole idea of of educating for a future of lifelong learning become that, that gets called into question. And a second one that's, some, that's somewhat related, but only related because it's related through the, the technological changes we've been going through, um, uh, has to do with the toxicity of technology itself. We know that, uh, uh, that we, and especially younger people, are becoming increasingly uh, addicted to our telephones and to the uh, the access that we have through technology to the world around us. We as educators have been pushing, you know, the internet and access to through technology to the internet world of information now for 20 plus years because it is the greatest learning tool in the history of humankind, but it's also become incredibly toxic. I travel a fair bit. I've, I've been able to get back traveling now uh, in the last few months. And you just have to go to an airport or any other public space and see that the, the incredible uh, majority of people, and sometimes it's almost 100% of people are not interacting as human beings with each other. They they're, they're have their face down in their telephones. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm one of them. I try to be less, less of one, but, but all of us are addicted to that uh, technological connectivity. Uh, and there is toxicity that uh, comes with that. And so how do we find this balance uh, between this incredible access to knowledge uh, that, that we all have, our students and, and, and adults alike, and yet not become so addicted to it that we don't put the darn things down and connect as human beings uh, much more frequently. I was fascinated to see just in the last couple of days that uh, China has restricted the amount of time that all young people will be able to play video games to three hours a week. Well, in a totalitarian or largely totalitarian uh, country like China, you can do that. But I don't think we should say that just because they're totalitarians, that restricting uh, young people from being embedded in video games their whole life is a bad thing. Uh, there is real toxicity uh, that is associated with that. And so this is a, a struggle that uh, we as educators are going to have to uh, deal with because a lot of that uh, role of teaching uh, how to become detoxified, how to use the technology appropriately, ultimately uh, lies with schools. <clears throat> and then the new one that I that I really have been thinking about a lot lately, I think it is going to feed into uh, perhaps a future project uh, that I'm contemplating uh, that may take up the next three to five years of my life uh, has to do with the concepts of meaning and purpose. And I wrote a blog 
and you might put the link uh, to a blog I wrote a couple of weeks or a week or so ago in the in the notes. Uh, the difference between finding meaning and finding purpose uh, based on a, a podcast that I heard on N on NPR recently uh, by a, a great clinical sociologist at uh, Cornell who says, you know, finding meaning sort of has a backward uh, look to it. It means understanding the world around us, how the world got to the way it is, how we got to the way it is and how the way the world is today. Understanding your purpose is a very future-oriented and action-oriented uh, difference than just knowing what your meaning is. And I don't think there is a greater purpose uh, for schools than to help our students find their purpose. Uh, there's, there's serious evidence, and there's serious research that, that not only suggests, but I think demonstrates that people who have and understand their purpose are healthier in a lot of different ways. They're physically healthier, they're mentally healthier, they live longer, they have more satisfaction in the jobs that they have, they have better home lives. Uh, and I think this is something we intuitively know and recognize. And we know how we can help people to find their purpose. And so I think it's incredibly important for schools to ask themselves, do we know what our purpose is as an organization? A, if we don't, how can we help our students find their purpose? B, and C, uh, how can we help our students find their purpose within the context? Again, not as, a, not as something different from learning the important content that we teach around reading and math and science and history and all those things, but where's the Venn overlap? Where's the overlap? and the, uh, the, the, the mutually reinforcing strength of learning content, learning those things that are important that we know as a, as a, a functioning individual in society, but that also uh, help us and are helped by us having a purpose, understanding what our purpose might be in life, and uh, re receiving the benefits of having an understanding of our purpose. And I think this is something that um, I'm going to be talking about a lot in the future, because I think that most schools have sort of seen their purpose as getting their kids to college. And uh, that is not the right purpose. <laughs> uh, it's not the, the purpose that most schools would want to have, uh, but I think it's one that we've sort of fallen into. And I think schools need to really be leaders in evaluating this issue of their own purpose and how we help students develop a purpose for themselves. Uh, I, I love that. I love the language that you put around that. Once again, um, I'll be, I'll be repeating that um, in my coming conversation. So, you know, it, it really makes me think about how we have tried so hard to think about two big elements for us um, living at our North Star, igniting passions to impact our world. And that is through authentic learning and that student agency. And I think about when the, the meaning, you know, uh, for our students, I think about how on our learning farm, our students uh, every day get to go out and they have to nurture and nourish chickens that rely on them for life. And man, there's, there's meaning in that there, there, there's purpose, there's relevancy, and there's a reason to get up every day. And then I, I hope that through that, though, also there is that purpose, that future thought that this is not just about chickens, though. It's about how do I care for things around me? How do I learn lessons from that? And so that 
mean, that really hits me strong. I, I love. Yeah. That. And and Mike, what I love about a school like yours, and I don't want to say a school like yours, what I love about your school, uh, not only do you have one of the few actually functioning school gardens of all the schools that, you know, all the schools that I've visited yeah. said, we want to build a garden. Uh, a lot of them, they build it, they turn to weeds within six months. You guys have this incredibly functioning garden and you're, you're, you are purposefully making the connection with the kids. This isn't just about growing uh, Swiss chard over the wintertime. Uh, it is about nurturing. It's about taking care of yourself. It's about taking care of others. This is that human-centeredness uh, that needs to be balanced with the left brain efficiencies and things we can prove on tests and all that sort of thing. It's really hard to prove uh, how well a student cares about the lettuce that they're growing or taking care of. It doesn't mean it's not important. In fact, it's incredibly important. And so you're at a school like yours, you know, you've pressed your foot to the accelerator. Uh, you've not been swayed by the things like the pandemic of saying, we're going to make these connections overtly and clearly. Kids are going to be able to draw those lines themselves. And that's how kids do find their purpose and evolve their purpose over, over time. And so I really applaud you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And again, I, I, I love that, that language that you're shaping together on that, though. And I think that we need to use it more and talk about every day. How do we help our, our students and, and their, their journey find the meaning? Right? What, what is the meaning of what we're doing? And I think that's where I, I struggle sometimes when I'm working with other teachers that are, are lacking engagement in their class or they're lacking that human connection. And it really is about meaning, right? That, that's where it's happening because no one understands why we're doing this. Well, what, what's the point, right? That there's no meaning in the exercise or meaning in the time together. And, and when teachers lose that, then again, there can be no purpose later, right? If I don't have meaning you, today. You, I have to share with you and, you know, I've, I've learned so much from working at so many schools and I've learned so much from <clears throat> visiting your school several times and running workshops and things. Just last week, uh, I was at Mercersburg Academy, a great uh, independent boarding school up in uh, Pennsylvania, and had two days with the faculty. And we spent a morning talking about the meaning of meaning mm -hmm. uh, and how to bring that into the classroom. And I will just say at this point, uh, because I haven't, the results have not been collated, but within an hour or so, uh, we had unwrapped a number a very interesting and applicable and implementable, uh, easy to, to bring, bring to, to, to fruition strategies and tactics that teachers were sharing with each other about how do we do exactly what you're talking about, for the, especially for those teachers to go, you know what, I'm, I'm teaching Calc AB or I'm teaching, you know, intro physics or something. And, you know, come on, really, how do I actually, or, you know, geometry or something, how do I actually do that? There's loads of ways. And and, and your schools are filled with, with people who have that sort of creativity and go, oh, yeah, no, here's a way that we can embed meaning. And by the way, we're going to bring the students in the conversation so that they're the ones that are co-developing the understanding around meaning. And we can bring meaning and purpose into every single classroom subject discipline and make those mutually reinforcing. I'm confident of that and I believe that that's going to be something that's going to be a big topic of conversation here going forward over the next few years. I, I love that. I, I have to tell a story um, and it was inspired by you. It's been now a few years ago but we were really having this conversation with our faculty here at All Saints and uh, Jason had decided to put our money where our mouth is and we put ourselves on stage at our back to school assembly and we challenged our faculty that if they couldn't find relevancy or authentic experiences in a lesson or a topic or a content, then throw it out. And we're going to we're going to we're going to do this together on stage. And uh, fascinating thing. But that's what we found. Right. And teachers were trying to stump us. 
They couldn't. There were a few times where we said, hey, I, I don't know enough about this. And I, we invited some other people up on stage and they began to riff with us. And before you do it, we had these crazy, cool, relevant lessons that were full of meaning. And uh, so I, I just I, I love that thought. And I think that the other thing that we challenged them in that same time with, if there is something that we come up with that we can't make meaningful, that there can't be meaning in the reason we assemble and talk about that, then maybe we shouldn't be teaching that. And that's the hardest thing for some people to let go of is that there are still some things in our very outdated education system that we might be teaching that we need to say goodbye to, you know? Yeah, so, we, we can't just keep adding things and not taking things away. Uh, uh, you know, the old uh, commonly quoted adage, you know, strategy is as much about choosing what you're not going to do as what you are going to do. And you just have to choose that you're not going to do some things. And, and I think there are schools all over the country and all over the world that have accelerated in that uh, conversation uh, because with the last year, kind of to wrap this back to the, the, the experience we've all had in the last year, there were things that we couldn't do. And we, we were able to ask ourselves, were those, are those things important to bring back? And the answer was no. <laughs> and so don't bring it back. Uh, uh, put it put it out to pasture where it belongs and move on and do some things that are more relevant to the current situation. Absolutely. Well, I, I just think, you know, as, as we, we kind of get wrapping this up, that if we can't take what you talked about with, with taking those times tables and that AP Calc B and that AP Chem and understand how that, in this pandemic and through the things that we've done to uh, come up with a vaccine in record time and, and all of the research and all of the stuff that's been written, if we can't marry those two into academics and meaning and how those come together and learn something from that, I think we're missing out on the great opportunity. You're, exactly, you're exactly right. The world continues to give us great uh, fodder around which to build rel relevancy, uh, develop that intrinsic motivation in our students and in our teachers that we know is vastly more relevant in learning than extrinsic motivation of a, of a, of a score or a, a grade or a college application, something like that. We know these are the things that are the life that, that, that lead to lifelong learning and retention. And so the world is constantly giving us those. We just have to be attuned to it and willing to accept them and willing to make those changes. And if we do those in little pieces. Uh, each person does those in little pieces, as I know uh, you've done it at, at All Saints. Uh, it doesn't, it, the, the challenge is not, it's not so daunting. Uh, it's all of us taking a little bite at, uh, all the t little bites all the time rather than asking people to swallow something in whole cloth all, all at once. And so that's where I see, you know, the schools are really effective at making those changes. That's how they do it. That's right. And uh, I just, I also think about that, you know, I'm, I'm reminded that our meaning right now is, is even greater for us right now in the midst of a, a world that needs to have some problem finders and solvers and people that are willing to roll up their sleeves. And so, I mean, again, going back to our hope talk, right? That, that even in this time where we're, we're really being faced with challenges we didn't uh, expect, I mean, what we do as educators is more important than ever. There's more meaning in every minute I have with a child than I felt there might've been in the past. That I have more reason to make sure that we make these connections and, and help them want to be part of that more than ever. So I, I am hopeful. Yeah, and let me maybe, I know we're going to wrap up, but maybe let me finish with this. The, the things that you're talking about, Mike, and things that we're talking about, these are not ideas that are uh, that are pushed to the left and right of the political spectrum or uh, by any means. Uh, 
I'm working with a, a public school district in Alamogordo, New Mexico, which is a very conservative part of the country. And their public educators, we are absolutely all on the same wavelength in terms of how to build a new school that's going to amplify the kind of learning that you would applaud and that would be great at All Saints. It would be a great at some of the you know best and most forward-looking, i.e. progressive schools in America. And I just yesterday talked with a uh, an educator in Los Angeles uh, at the Wildwood School who have a center for distributing their, uh, their, what works well for them across the country. And they've helped a lot of schools. And one of their most recent clients is a uh, public school district in Kansas that he describes as being three hours from the nearest airport, uh, a state that traditionally has a very conservative public education system. And yet they find all kinds of common ground in terms of what we all would term as this forward-looking, uh, progressive next generation education that uh, stakeholders from across the political, economic, social uh, spectra uh, are all getting behind and can get behind. And, and maybe some of that starts to heal some of these tragic divides and wounds that have uh, hurt our country so much in the last uh, you know, four or five, six years. Mm, I, I, I'm definitely hopeful for that and believe it can be that. So uh, Grant, as we do close out, we always like to make sure that we let our listeners, our listener, whoever it may be today, um, know uh, where to find you, where to follow your incredible work and, and all the things that you're up to. So will you kind of let them know where they can find you? And we'll also include some of those in the links below. Yeah. So everything that I do, I try to share on my uh, website at uh, grantlichtman.com. And I'm sure you'll share that uh, site with folks because the spelling is, a, is, is doesn't come across audi audibly as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter at, at Grant Lichtman uh, and my books are all available on all the major sites. If you just put my name in at uh, Amazon, you come up with my author's page and, you know, that's pretty much where I am. And all my contact information is there. I don't hide uh, my email, my, my phone number. It's all there. People want to talk. I'm always here to, to, to chat and, and listen and share. I love it. And I encourage all of our listeners to follow Grant Lichtman. He is a source of inspiration for, for again, for me personally and for our school, uh, I feel like by following your work and following your, your efforts that I, I have a pulse on what's going on around the country. And that's a gift for our school here in East Texas to know that we have some connection and conduit to someone who's out doing some big things. So we're, again, thankful for that. Thanks for having Thank me, you. guys. Thanks, Grant, for spending the time with us. We really appreciate it. Okay. All right, guys, that's it for this one. Thank you all for, for listening in, and we'll see you all at our next ASES Sandbox Chat.